Chapter Five of the Night Side of Nature or Ghosts and Ghost Seers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paesra Utrecht. The Night Side of Nature or Ghosts and Ghost Seers by Catherine Crow. Chapter Five Warnings. Part Two after the death of dante it was discovered that the thirteenth canto of the paradiso was missing great search was made for it but in vain and to the regret of everybody concerned it was at length concluded that it had either never been written or had been destroyed the quest was therefore given up and some months had elapsed when pietro alighieri his son dreamed that his father had appeared to him and told him that if he removed a certain panel near the window of the room in which he had been accustomed to write the thirteenth canto would be found pietro told his dream and was laughed at of course however as the canto did not turn up it was thought as well to examine the spot indicated in the dream the panel was removed and there lay the missing canto behind it much mildewed but fortunately still legible if it be true that the dead do return sometimes to solve her perplexities here was not an unworthy occasion for the exercise of such a power we can imagine the spirit of the great poet still clinging to the memory of his august work immortal as himself the record of those high thoughts which can never die there are numerous curious accounts extant of persons being awakened by the calling of a voice which announced some impending danger to them three boys are sleeping in the wing of a castle and the eldest is awakened by what appears to him to be the voice of his father calling him by name he rises and hastens to his parents chamber situated in another part of the building where he finds his father asleep who on being awakened assures him that he had not called him and the boy returns to bed but he is scarcely asleep before the circumstance recurs and he goes again to his father with the same result a third time he falls asleep and a third time he is aroused by the voice too distinctly heard for him to doubt his senses and now alarmed at he knows not what he rises and takes his brothers with him to his father's chamber and while they are discussing the singularity of the circumstance a crash is heard and that wing of the castle in which the boy slept falls to the ground this incident excited so much attention in germany that it was recorded in a ballad it is related by Ameraldus that monsieur calignan chancellor of navarre dreamed three successive times in one night at Bern that a voice called to him and bade him quit the place as the plague would soon break out in that town that in consequence he removed his family and the result justified his flight a german physician relates that a patient of his told him that he dreamed repeatedly one night that a voice bade him go to his hop garden as there were thieves there he resisted the injunction some time till at length he was told that if he delayed any longer he would lose all his produce thus urged he went at last and arrived just in time to see the thieves loaded with sacks making away from the opposite side of the hop ground and madame von milich found herself under the necessity of parting with a property which had long been in her family when the bargain was concluded and she was preparing to remove she solicited permission of the new proprietor to carry away with her some little relic as a memento of former days a request which he uncivilly denied 
on one of the nights that preceded her departure from the home of her ancestors she dreamed that a voice spoke to her and bade her go to the cellar and open a certain part of the wall where she would find something that nobody would dispute with her impressed with her dream she sent for a bricklayer who after long seeking discovered a place which appeared less solid than the rest a hole was made and in a niche was found a goblet which contained something that looked like a potpourri on shaking out the contents there lay at the bottom a small ring on which was engraved the name anna von milich a friend of mine mr charles kirkpatrick sharp has some coins that were found exactly in the same manner the child of a mr christison in whose house his father was lodging in the year seventeen eighty one dreamed that there was a treasure hid in the cellar her father had no faith in the dream but mr sharp had the curiosity to have the place dug up and a copper pot was found full of coins a very singular circumstance was related to me by mr j as having occurred not long since to himself a tonic had been prescribed to him by his physician for some slight derangement of the system and as there was no good chemist in the village he inhabited he was in the habit of walking to a town about five miles off to get the bottle filled as occasion required one night that he had been to m for this purpose and had obtained his last supply for he was now recovered and about to discontinue the medicine a voice seemed to warn him that some great danger was impending his life was in jeopardy then he heard but not with his outward ear a beautiful prayer it was not myself that prayed he said the prayer was far beyond anything i am capable of composing it spoke of me in the third person always as he and supplicated that for the sake of my widowed mother this calamity might be averted my father had been dead some months i was sensible of all this yet i cannot say whether i was asleep or awake when i rose in the morning the whole was present to my mind although i had slept soundly in the interval i felt however as if there was some mitigation of the calamity though what the danger was with which i was threatened i had no notion when i was dressed i prepared to take my medicine but on lifting the bottle i fancied that the colour was not the same as usual i looked again and hesitated and finally instead of taking two tablespoons which was my accustomed dose i took but one fortunate it was that i did so the apothecary had made a mistake the drug was poison i was seized with violent vomiting and other alarming symptoms from which i was with difficulty recovered had i taken the two spoonfuls i should probably not have survived to tell the tale the manner in which i happened to obtain these particulars is not uninteresting i was spending the evening with mr wordsworth at rydal when he mentioned to me that a stranger who had called on him that morning had quoted two lines from his poem of laodamia which he said to him had a peculiar interest they were these the invisible world with thee had sympathized be thy affections raised and solemnized i do not know what he alludes to said mr wordsworth but he gave me to understand that these lines had a deep meaning for him and that he had himself been the subject of such a sympathy upon this i sought the stranger whose address the poet gave me and thus learned the above particulars from himself 
his very natural persuasion was that the interceding spirit was his father he described the prayer as one of earnest anguish one of the most remarkable instances of warning that has come to my knowledge is that of mr m of kingsborough this gentleman being on a voyage to america dreamed one night that a little old man came into his cabin and said get up your life is in danger upon which mr m awoke but considering it to be only a dream he soon composed himself to sleep again the dream however if such it were recurred and the old man urged him still more strongly to get up directly but he still persuaded himself it was only a dream and after listening a few minutes and hearing nothing to alarm him he turned round and addressed himself once more to sleep but now the old man appeared again and angrily bade him rise instantly and take his gun and ammunition with him for he had not a moment to lose the injunction was now so distinct that mr m felt he could no longer resist it so he hastily dressed himself took his gun and ascended to the deck where he had scarcely arrived when the ship struck on a rock which he and several others contrived to reach the place however was uninhabited and but for his gun they would never have been able to provide themselves with food till a vessel arrived to their relief now these can scarcely be looked upon as instances of clear seeing or of second sight in sleep which in denmark is called first seeing i believe for in neither case did the sleeper perceive the danger much less the nature of it if therefore we refuse to attribute them to some external protecting influence they resolve themselves into cases of vague presentiment but it must then be admitted that the mode of manifestation is very extraordinary so extraordinary indeed that we fall into fully as great a difficulty as that offered by the supposition of a guardian spirit an american clergyman told me that an old woman with whom he was acquainted who had two sons heard a voice say to her in the night john's dead this was her eldest son shortly afterward the news of his death arriving she said to the person who communicated the intelligence to her if john's dead then i know that david is dead too for the same voice has since told me so and the event proved that the information whence ever it came was correct not many years since captain s was passing a night at the manse of strachur in argyleshire then occupied by a relation of his own shortly after he retired the bed curtains were opened and somebody looked in upon him supposing it to be some inmate of the house who was not aware that the bed was occupied he took no notice of the circumstance till it being two or three times repeated he at length said what do you want why do you disturb me in this manner i come replied a voice to tell you that this day twelve month you will be with your father after this captain s was no more disturbed in the morning he related the circumstance to his host though being an entire disbeliever in all such phenomena without attaching any importance to the warning in the natural course of events and quite irrespective of this visitation on that day twelfth month he was again at the manse of strachur on his way to the north for which purpose it was necessary that he should cross the ferry to craggy the day was however so exceedingly stormy that his friend begged him not to go but he pleaded his business adding that he was determined not to be withheld from his intention by the ghost 
and although the minister delayed his departure by engaging him in a game of backgammon he at length started up declaring he should stay no longer they therefore proceeded to the water but they found the boat more to the side of the lake and the boatman assured them that it would be impossible to cross captain s however insisted and as the old man was firm in his refusal he became somewhat irritated and laid his cane lightly across his shoulders it ill becomes you sir said the ferryman to strike an old man like me but since you will have your way you must i cannot go with you but my son will but you will never reach the other side he will be drowned and you too the boat was then set afloat and captain s together with his horse and servant and the ferryman's son embarked in it the distance was not great but the storm was tremendous and after having with great difficulty got halfway across the lake it was found impossible to proceed the danger of tacking was of course considerable but since they could not advance there was no alternative but to turn back and it was resolved to attempt it the manoeuvre however failed the boat capsized and they were all precipitated into the water you keep hold of the horse i can swim said captain s to his servant when he saw what was about to happen being an excellent swimmer and the distance from the shore inconsiderable he hoped to save himself but he had on a heavy topcoat with boots and spurs the coat he contrived to take off in the water and then struck out with confidence but alas the coat had got entangled with one of the spurs and as he swam it clung to him getting heavier and heavier as it became saturated with water ever dragging him beneath the stream he however reached the shore where his anxious friend still stood watching the event and as the latter bent over him he was just able to make a gesture with his hand which seemed to say you see it was to be and then expired the boatman was also drowned but by the aid of the horse the servant escaped as i do not wish to startle my readers nor draw too suddenly on their faith i have commenced with this class of phenomena which it must be admitted are sufficiently strange and if true must also be admitted to be well worthy of attention no doubt these cases and still more those to which i shall next proceed give a painful shock to the received notions of polished and educated society in general especially in this country where the analytical or scientifical psychology of the eighteenth century has almost superseded the study of synthetic or philosophical psychology it has become accustomed to look at all the phenomena regarding man in a purely physiological point of view for although it is admitted that he has a mind and although there is such a science as metaphysics the existence of what we call mind is never considered but as connected with the body we know that body can exist without mind for not to speak of certain living conditions the body subsists without mind when the spirit has fled albeit without the living principle it can subsist but for a short period except under particular circumstances but we seem to have forgotten that mind though dependent upon body as long as the connection between them continues can yet subsist without it there have indeed been philosophers purely materialistic who have denied this but they are not many and not only the whole christian world but all who believe in a future state must perforce admit it 
for even those who hold that most unsatisfactory doctrine that there will be neither memory nor consciousness till a second incorporation takes place will not deny that the mind however in a state of abeyance and unable to manifest itself must still subsist as an inherent property of man's immortal part even if as some philosophers believe the spirit when freed from the body by death returns to the deity and is reabsorbed into the being of god not to become again a separate entity until reincorporated still what we call mind cannot be disunited from it and when once we have begun to conceive of mind and consequently of perception as separated from and independent of bodily organs it will not be very difficult to apprehend that those bodily organs must circumscribe and limit the view of the spiritual indweller which must otherwise be necessarily perceptive of spirit like itself though perhaps unperceptive of material objects and obstructions it is perfectly evident to me said socrates in his last moments that to see clearly we must detach ourselves from the body and perceive by the soul alone not while we live but when we die will that wisdom which we desire and love be first revealed to us it must be then or never that we shall attain to true understanding and knowledge since by means of the body we never can but if during life we would make the nearest approaches possible to its possession it must be by divorcing ourselves as much as in us lives from the flesh and its nature in their spiritual views and apprehension of the nature of man how these old heathens shame us the scriptures teach us that god chose to reveal himself to his people chiefly in dreams and we are entitled to conclude that the reason of this was that the spirit was then more free to the reception of spiritual influences and impressions and the class of dreams to which i next proceed seem to be best explained by this hypothesis it is also to be remarked that the awe or fear which pervades a mortal at the mere conception of being brought into relation with a spirit has no place in sleep whether natural or magnetic there is no fear then no surprise we seem to meet on an equality is it not that we meet spirit to spirit is it not that our spirit being then released from the trammels the dark chamber of the flesh it does enjoy a temporary equality is not that true that some german psychologist has said the magnetic man is a spirit there are numerous instances to be met with of persons receiving information in their sleep which either is or seems to be communicated by their departed friends the approach of danger the period of the sleeper's death or of that of some persons beloved has been frequently made known in this form of dream dr Bins quotes from cardenus the case of johannes maria maurosenus a venetian senator who while governor of dalmatia saw in a dream one of his brothers to whom he was much attached the brother embraced him and bade him farewell because he was going into the other world maurosenus having followed him a long way weeping awoke in tears and expressed much anxiety respecting this brother shortly afterward he received tidings from venice that this domatus of whom he had dreamed had died on the night and the hour of the dream of a pestilential fever which had carried him off in three days 
on the night of the twenty-first of june in the year eighteen thirteen a lady residing in the north of england dreamed that her brother who was then with his regiment in spain appeared to her saying mary i die this day at vittoria vittoria was a town which previous to the famous battle was not generally known even by name in this country and this dreamer among others had never heard of it but on rising she eagerly resorted to a gazetteer for the purpose of ascertaining if such a place existed on finding that it was so she immediately ordered her horses and drove to the house of a sister some eight or nine miles off and her first words on entering the room were have you heard anything of john no replied the second sister but i know he is dead he appeared to me last night in a dream and told me that he was killed at vittoria i've been looking into the gazetteer and the atlas and i find there is such a place and i am sure that he is dead and so it proved the young man died that day at vittoria and i believe on the field of battle if so it is worthy of observation that the communication was not made till the sister slept a similar case to this is that of miss d of g who one night dreamed that she was walking about the washing greens when a figure approached which she recognized as that of a beloved brother who was at that time with the british army in america it gradually faded away into a kind of anatomy holding up its hands through which the light could be perceived and asking for clothes to dress a body for the grave the dream recurred more than once in the same night and apprehending some misfortune miss d noted down the date of the occurrence in due course of post the news arrived that his brother had been killed at the battle of bunkers hill miss d who died only within the last few years though unwilling to speak of the circumstance never refused to testify to it as a fact here supposing this to be a real apparition we see an instance of that desire for decent obsequies so constantly attributed by the ancients to the souls of the dead when the german poet colin died at vienna a person named hartmann who was his friend found himself very much distressed by the loss of a hundred and twenty florins which he had paid for the poet under a promise of reimbursement as this sum formed a large portion of his whole possessions the circumstance was occasioning him considerable anxiety when he dreamed one night that his deceased friend appeared to him and bade him immediately set two florins on number eleven on the first calling of the little lottery or lotto then about to be drawn he was bade to confine his venture to two florins neither less nor more and to communicate this information to nobody Hartman availed himself of the hint and obtained the price of a hundred and thirty florins since we look upon lotteries in this country as an immoral species of gambling it may be raised as an objection to this dream that such intelligence was an unworthy mission for a spirit supposing the communication to have been actually made by colin but in the first place we have only to do with facts and not with their propriety or impropriety according to our notions and by and by i shall endeavour to show that such discrepancies possibly arise from the very erroneous notions commonly entertained of the state of those who have disappeared from the terrestrial life simonides the poet arriving at the seashore with the intention of embarking on board a vessel on the ensuing day 
found an unburied body which he immediately desired should be decently interred on the same night this deceased person appeared to him and bade him by no means go to sea as he had proposed simonides obeyed the injunction and beheld the vessel founder as he stood on the shore he raised a monument on the spot to the memory of his preserver which is said still to exist on which are engraven some lines to the effect that it was dedicated by simonides the poet of chaos in gratitude to the dead who had preserved him from death a much esteemed secretary died a few years since in the house of mr r von n about eight weeks afterward mr r himself being ill his daughter dreamed that the house bell rang and that on looking out she perceived the secretary at the door having admitted him and inquired what he was come for he answered to fetch somebody upon which alarmed for her father she exclaimed i hope not my father he shook his head solemnly in a manner that implied it was not the old man he had come for and turned away toward a guest chamber at that time vacant and there disappeared at the door the father recovered and the lady left home for a few days on a visit on her return she found her brother had arrived in the interval to pay a visit to his parents and was lying sick in that room where he died i will here mention a curious circumstance regarding mr h the gentleman alluded to in a former page who being at the seaside saw in a dream the danger that awaited his son when he went to bathe this gentleman has frequently on waking felt a consciousness that he had been conversing with certain persons of his acquaintance and indeed with some of whom he knew little and has afterward not without a feeling of awe learned that these persons had died during the hours of his sleep do not such circumstances entitle us to entertain the idea that i have suggested above namely that in sleep the spirit is free to see and to know and to communicate with spirit although the memory of this knowledge is rarely carried into the waking state the story of the two arcadians who travelled together to megara though reprinted in other works i cannot omit here one of these established himself on the night of their arrival at the house of a friend while the other sought shelter in a public lodging-house for strangers during the night the latter appeared to the former in a dream and besought him to come to his assistance as his villainous host was about to take his life and only the most speedy aid could save him the dreamer started from his sleep and his first movement was to obey the summons but reflecting that it was only a dream he presently lay down and composed himself again to rest but now his friend appeared to him a second time disfigured by blood and wounds conjuring him since he had not listened to his first entreaties that he would at least avenge his death his host he said had murdered him and was at that moment depositing his body in a dung-cart for the purpose of conveying it out of the town the dreamer was thoroughly alarmed arose and hastened to the gates of the city where he found waiting to pass out exactly such a vehicle as his friend had described a search being instituted the body was found underneath the manure and the host was consequently seized and delivered over to the testament of the law who shall venture to assert says dr Annemoser, that this communing with the dead in sleep is merely a subjective phenomenon 
and that the presence of these apparitions is a pure illusion. A circumstance fully as remarkable as any recorded occurred at Odessa in the year 1842. An old blind man named Michel had for many years been accustomed to get his living by seating himself every morning on a beam in one of the timber yards with a wooden bowl at his feet, into which the passengers cast their alms. This long-continued practice had made him well known to the inhabitants, and, as he was believed to have been formerly a soldier, his blindness was attributed to the numerous wounds he had received in battle. For his own part he spoke little, and never contradicted this opinion. One night Michel, by some accident, fell in with a little girl of ten years old, named Poleska, who was friendless, and on the verge of perishing with cold and hunger. The old man took her home, and adopted her, and from that time, instead of sitting in the timber-yards, he went about the streets in her company, asking alms at the doors of the houses. The child called him father, and they were extremely happy together. But when they pursued this mode of life for about five years, a misfortune befell them. A theft having been committed in a house which they had visited in the morning, Pauleska was suspected and arrested, and the blind man was left once more alone. But instead of resuming his former habits, he now disappeared altogether, and this circumstance causing the suspicion to extend to him, the girl was brought before the magistrate to be interrogated with regard to his probable place of concealment. "'Do you know where Michel is?' said the magistrate. "'He is dead,' replied she, shedding a torrent of tears. As the girl had been shut up for three days, without any means of obtaining information from without, this answer, together with her unfeigned distress, naturally excited considerable surprise. "'Who told you he was dead?' they inquired nobody then how can you know it i saw him killed but you have not been out of the prison but i saw it nevertheless but how was that possible explain what you mean i cannot all i can say is that i saw him killed when was he killed and how it was the night i was arrested that cannot be. He was alive when you were seized. Yes, he was. He was killed an hour after that. They stabbed him with a knife. Where were you then? I can't tell, but I saw it. The confidence with which the girl asserted what seemed to her hearers impossible and absurd disposed them to imagine that she was either really insane or pretending to be so. So leaving Michel aside, they proceeded to interrogate her about the robbery, asking her if she was guilty. Oh no, she answered. Then how came the property to be found about you? I don't know, I saw nothing but the murder. But there are no grounds for supposing Michel is dead. His body has not been found. It is in the aqueduct. And do you know who slew him? Yes, it is a woman. Michel was walking very slowly after I was taken from him. A woman came behind him with a large kitchen knife, but he heard her, and turned round, and then the woman flung a piece of grey stuff over his head, and struck him repeatedly with the knife. The grey stuff was much stained with the blood. 
Michel fell at the eighth blow, and the woman dragged the body to the aqueduct and let it fall in without ever lifting the stuff which stuck to his face. As it was easy to verify these latter assertions, they dispatched people to the spot, and there the body was found, with the piece of stuff over his head exactly as he described. But when they asked her how she knew all this, she could only answer, I don't know. But you know who killed him? Not exactly. It is the same woman that put out his eyes. But perhaps he will tell me her name tonight, and if he does, I will tell it to you. Whom do you mean by he? Why, Michel, to be sure. During the whole of the following night, without allowing her to suspect their intention, they watched her and it was observed that she never lay down but sat upon the bed in a sort of lethargic slumber her body was quite motionless except at intervals when this repose was interrupted by violent nervous shocks which pervaded her whole frame on the ensuing day the moment she was brought before the judge she declared that she was now able to tell them the name of the assassin but stay said the magistrate did Michel never tell you, when he was alive, how he lost his sight? No, but the morning before I was arrested he promised me to do so, and that was the cause of his death. How could that be? Last night Michel came to me, and he pointed to the man hidden behind the scaffolding on which he and I had been sitting. He showed me the man listening to us, when he said, I'll tell you all about that tonight, and then the man... Do you know the name of this man? It is Luck. He went afterward to a broad street that leads down to the harbor, and he entered the third house on the right. What is the name of the street? I don't know, but the house is one story lower than the adjoining ones. Luck told Catherine what he had heard, and she proposed to him to assassinate Michel but he refused saying it was bad enough to have burnt out his eyes fifteen years before while he was asleep at your door and to have kidnapped him into the country then i went in to ask charity and catherine put a piece of plate into my pocket that i might be arrested then she hid herself behind the aqueduct to wait for michel and she killed him but since you say all this why did you keep the plate? Why didn't you give information? But I didn't see it then. Michel showed it me last night. But what should induce Catherine to do this? Michel was her husband, and she had forsaken him to come to Odessa and marry again. One night, fifteen years ago, she saw Michel, who had come to seek her. She slipped hastily into her house, and Michel, who thought she had not seen him, lay down at her door to watch. But he fell asleep, and then Luck burnt out his eyes and carried him to a distance. And is it Michel who has told you this? Yes, he came, very pale and covered with blood, and he took me by the hand and showed me all this with his fingers. Upon this, Locke and Catherine were arrested, and it was ascertained that she had actually been married to Michel in the year 1819 at Curson. They at first denied the accusation, but Poleska insisted, and they subsequently confessed the crime. 
when they communicated the circumstances of the confession to Poleska, she said, I was told it last night. This affair naturally excited great interest, and people all around the neighborhood hastened into the city to learn the sentence. End of chapter 5 Warnings Part 2